Guys, when you find your chair, take your Bible and open up to Judges chapter 3. Judges is in the beginning of the Bible. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Dude, you're on to me. And then we got Joshua and Judges. Dude, you're on to me. One of my favorite books of the Bible. Hey, check it out. Judges 3. And as always, welcome to South Beach Church. How's everyone doing today? It is so hot. It is so rad. I'm not complaining. I'm going to talk about the weather all day. How many of you guys just love the hot? Raise your hands. Okay. That's why I moved to Newport. That's why I moved to Newport. How many of you guys love the cold? Like you're just, you're that person. Okay. How many of you guys love like not hot, but not cold, but perfect? Making sure you guys are listening. Making sure you're listening. I can, I can jam with whatever it is. I like the sun. Someone said, hey, you look like you got some sun. I was like, I got as much as I can. I chase the sun. I'm like a lizard. If the sun comes out, I'll be there. So I'm glad for days like this. Uh, as always, though, welcome. My name's Luke Frechette, one of the pastors here. And we have a bunch of things going on, not just on Sunday. And I want to lead you through some of those announcements so you can know how to pray, participate, and or plug others in. Put the announcements up there for me, would you, Dave? This is what's going on all week long. I would say that Monday and Wednesday is our youth offerings this week. Both youth offerings are at 5 p.m. Salt and Light and High School Middle School are combined at 5 on Wednesday. So big events going on this Monday and Wednesday, 5 p.m. Middle School and High School on Wednesday, high school only on Monday. So guys, check that out. Also on Monday and Friday, we've got our men's offerings at the FTK Diamonds in the Rough building. So we've got a Bible study tomorrow night. John, are you teaching tomorrow night? John Smith's teaching tomorrow night on the prophecies and end times and what's going on in our current culture. So guys, don't miss that. 6 p.m. Fridays at 6. There's Series 33 Discipleship Bible Study as well. And then Wednesday mornings, we usually have women's Bible study. They're on break right now. Some walk and talks scheduled for the later spring in summertime. Thursday, we've got prayer. Tuesday, I missed Tuesday, we've got Celebrate Recovery here at 6 p.m. Such a great time of fellowship, worship, discipleship, accountability. All those things are happening. And then Fridays, the young adult group is meeting as well. We love to connect people in so many different ways. So glad you're online tuning in at home or gathering, us, gathering with us here today. Also, just a few kind of out there announcements. We're taking a couple mission trips, three to be exact, this summer. One stateside, two international. The two international are to Mexico. There's one in June and then one in August as well. I should say July and August. Actually, it is June, July and August, but there's only two. Check it out though. Don't be confused. If you have questions, not this Sunday, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that, the 28th, 115, right here, there's going to be an information meeting. So if you're like, I'm going to Mexico, I'm going to Mexico. I'm going to Mexico. Make sure and plan on being here or talk to Pastor Adam Durkin there in the back before you leave. There is room for the June trip. We need construction guys. It's primarily a construction trip. We're going to be putting a bunkhouse together for missionaries to go down there as we continue to build the orphanage. And then in August, the primary focus, there'll be some construction, but it's primary outreach to orphanages down there and to VBS and other things like that. So my family and I are planning on going to that trip in August. So cool. And then the other trip here locally is at Camp Attitude. They're outside in between Lebanon and Sweet Home. And we have teamed up with them, and we're looking for participants and volunteers to say, I would love to go serve those in need, to go serve those who have issues in their life and families that have special needs folks. Wouldn't it be awesome to put a camp on for them? So that's happening in June. More information in the back on that. Ways to plug in all over. Hey, I want to give you guys an update on the property, too. We bought property on November 1st, and we've been actively going as fast as we can. How many developers out there know that as fast as you can is still super slow? 
so slow. And I just smile. I'm like, dude, you can't go. But the Lord works in mysterious ways. And the Lord wastes nothing. If you're going through a season in your life right now where it feels slow, this is just taking forever, okay, settle in and say, okay, Lord, have your way. Don't waste anything because if the process is slow right now, whatever you're going through, chances are, Lord, the Lord is doing something in your life, and if you miss it, you're going to have to retake the class. So pay attention. What does the Lord want to do? Well, anyways, we've been doing stuff. Hey, just as a fun video we put together, I just filmed this yesterday. I went up there, and there was a couple. I didn't know there was going to be guys up there working, so I took my phone out. Play this video if you got it all queued up for us, Dave. This is a minute and a half of yesterday. Turn that beat up, man. That's a good beat right there. make some commentary. These are all, keep going. These are all volunteers that were just up there running our equipment, running their own personal equipment, clearing the land, making preparations for our building that's going to be underway this August or September. Guys, that dozer, that was the one that was donated to us earlier last year. We picked up this excavator a couple months ago, and it's just been so rewarding to see guys and gals going up there all week long using their skills to love on God's land, and I believe God honors the little things. Let's clap for the guys you just saw working over there. Man. Okay, that's a fun video. You can put the lights back on. Just be encouraged that no matter what's going on, God knows what's going on in your life, and he's going to provide for you exactly what you need when you need it, whether it's heavy-duty 30,000-pound bulldozers. Some of you are praying for that right now in, in your lives, and God will provide. Keep praying how the Lord might use you to also encourage us as we move forward, still trying to raise uh, quite a bit of money in order to pay for this project moving forward. As a matter of fact, we did a, a coffee sale last week. Remember that? We sold bags of coffee. They were completely donated, fresh roasted, uh, small batch, gourmet coffee. I can't remember how many bags we sold, a couple hundred bags. People are asking, is there more coffee? I think you might have an addiction if you need more coffee after, but that's okay. I'm right there with you. We don't have any coffee today. Uh, we, I'm sorry. I know it's crazy. And so next week we should have 10 more cases. And we're just going to keep selling that, raising money for the building. So that's legit. Uh, a couple more announcements before we move into what we're going to do today. Today is Mother's Day. And uh, let's just clap right now for all the moms. Man. Okay, let's, uh, let's go ahead and clap for the moms like we really love them, okay? Woo! No, you guys are, I know, you're, I know you're hot right now, but you owe everything to your mom. Can you clap for your mom right now? I love Mother's Day. I've got a mom in my life. She birthed me, and I've also got my wife. She's the mother of my three kids. So I'm going to ask my mom to come up on stage right now, and my wife. Everyone clap for my wife and my mom. Okay, stop clapping. They're not here. They're not here. But I want the record to stand. I was ready. I want the record. Take a picture. I want the record to stand. Okay, I'm going to put these back. 
And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Man, if you're related to me or the Frechettes, you know you're rough and tumble. So my, my mom, who usually is here at the first service, she was working on Friday and she fell, broke her wrist in two places. Can you put that picture up there, Dave? This is yesterday. There she is. You know where she's at in this picture? Back at work. She's back at work. You know where she's at right now? Working. Right now she's delivering flowers on Mother's Day. Everyone give her one clap. Not bad, not bad. And then my wife got a migraine yesterday, and so she was out for the count, so she's home. Love you, babe. She's home watching right now, but I, again, I remind you, I had flowers. I was ready to go. So, so grateful for our moms and our community, for our spiritual moms, for our physical moms, the mother who raised you, maybe the person you're linked to that's raising your kids. We want to thank God for his creation. We know also that within parenting and motherhood, there's pain, there's difficulty, there's disappointment, there's challenges. Some of you, your mom's not here. She's not here. Some of you want to be a mom, and that hasn't been gifted to you at this point. Some of you, your mom is still alive, but there's a strain, there's a difficulty there. We understand all this. We live in a broken world. Every time and any time I counsel with somebody or look at my own life and what in the heck is going on, and my wife has a migraine and my mom's breaking bones, and what's going on, Lord? Don't you care? He says, I do care. I care so much. I love you, and I've given to you all that I've given to you. You must trust me in a world that is broken, in a world that has issues. And so, guys, would you just bow your heads and pray with me as we seek the Lord on Mother's Day and ask him to be honored and glorified in all that he does today. Father, we lift up our moms to you. Lift up Arla, Lord, my mom, and ask for blessings upon her and Joe as they're out cruising the streets delivering flowers, keeping safe. Lord, it's kind of crazy out today. I pray for quick healing on her wrist, Lord, and just blessing on her heart, Lord. And I thank you for her, and I thank you for my wife, Crystal, Lord, the mother of my three children, Lord. We've got one in heaven as well, and so thankful, Lord, for my wife. Would you bless her today, Lord? Shower love and healing upon her, Lord, restoration. Thank you for the kiddos that are here with me, and we just love you, and we pray for all the other moms, Lord, here, and those who want to be moms, and those, Lord, who miss their moms. We just love you, and we thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. May we honor you, Lord, even as you've honored us. Bless us also, Lord, as we get into your word. May you minister to us just like a mom would just loving on us. Minister to us, Lord. We thank you for all you've done and all you're going to do. Be honored, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Hey, check this out. Also, I forgot to mention two more things. They're over here by my water. I didn't want to get dehydrated. That's what it is. Check this out. For you moms today, or for those of you who are inclined, on the way out the door, Right out there, there's a little canopy, and you can grab one of these little succulents, and it says, Happy Mother's Day. There's a verse on the back. This is for the mamas here. You can kind of water that and grow it, and it might turn into a tree one day. I'm not sure, but that's for you. And also, we're doing a fundraiser for Safe Families for Children. At least that's what it's usually for. What's this for? That's a fundraiser. We want you to go home and fill this with gold or silver, and uh, whatever you have, or just quarters, you know, something like that. What is this even for? Does anyone know? To Pastor Toby? What's the ministry for? Who's the money going to? Is this staff vacations? Safe families. Safe families for children. I was right. I was right. Safe families for children. So we usually hand these out on Mother's Day. And I think we ask for them back on Father's Day, like on June, something like that. So you have some time to go out and find some ore and some precious metals and diamonds and stuff like that. So guys, those are the announcements. Take your Bibles now and turn to Judges 3. How many of you guys think Pastor Luke's a little hot today? A little hot? It's true, it's true. I was reading my, 
announcements here, making sure we got everything. Hey, I want to make one more mention. Last week, Carlos Villarreal came up and shared about the Diamonds in the Rough for the King FTK Ministries happening just on the other side of the bridge. I want to thank you guys for loving on him, hearing what he's doing, supporting him, praying for him. Some of you have made monetary gifts and have committed to partnering with FTK. Thank you for doing that. What they're doing there in the middle of town, not just at Diamonds in the Rough and for the King, but also Ruby's in the Rough, which is the women's ministry on Wednesdays, is they're ministering to a greater people here in Newport. It is amazing, so we're so thankful to partner with them, so continue to do so. But right now, take your Bibles and open up to Judges 3. I wanted to teach last week and finish Judges 3 in one teaching, because it highlights the first of three judges in the book of Judges. Othniel, whose name means little lion of God, and then Othniel leads us into Ehud, Ehud, whose name means I will praise, and then Shamgar, Shamgar's name means nothing because we don't know anything about that guy. And Shamgar's the final judge, and these are all good judges. You see, in the book of Judges, there's a highlight of 13 judges, 12 men, one woman, six good guys, one good gal, and then the rest are bad guys. And the first three at bat are guys that take Israel as she is in the problems they have. And what they do with that situation is for our learning, for our admonition, for our encouragement. Because have you realized that our country has gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Have you realized that our culture has gone nutso, schizo, it's out of control? And we've decided, what should we do? Well, let's not offend anybody anymore. What, how do we do that? Let's get God out of the government. Let's get God out of the schools. Let's get God out of sports. Yeah, <laughs> why would you do that? And at the risk of offending some, listen, you've offended the one who shan't be offended, God himself. And we in trouble. What are we going to do? Well, God raises up men and women in situations and in cultures and in families and communities that would simply look to him through his word, that would be inspired to stand in the gap, to live different, to be different. And I want to remind you at the beginning of this teaching, of this time in the study, that it's not so much your ability, but it's your availability. For even if you have abilities, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, if you know all, do all, give all, have all, but you don't have love. But if you don't have love and if you don't give yourself over to the Lord and what he's doing, it doesn't matter what's going on. And so the greatest ability in Christianity is availability. Lord, use my life. Lord, use my story. Lord, use my finances. Lord, use my business. Lord, use my mouth, my hands, my feet. Lord, I can run a dozer. I can run a saw. I can do whatever, Lord. I can run electricity. I can do things. And may the Lord inspire us today to not look around and talk about the commentaries of the news and the cultures and what's going on around and the weather patterns and all that, but instead to say, who needs ministry? Who needs service? What does the Lord want to do with my life? Have you guys noticed that we live in Lincoln County? one of the most powerful counties in the world. <laughs> Are you guys listening? Because that was hilarious. Freaking county. <laughs> We're not powerful. We have no influence over anybody except our people, except what God's called us to right here. These are the people that God wants us to minister to, to love on. Jesus actually simplified this and he said, hey, make sure and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And immediately they're like, well, who's our neighbor? It's like, it wasn't a trick command. Your neighbor, the person that you're living with, working with, going to school with, those are the people that you can impact the most. And what's often seen in our lives is we look around and we're like, oh, I want to go there and I can't wait till I get to college. I can't wait till I get out of college. I can't wait till I have a business. I can't wait till I retire. I can't wait till we live outside of where we're at. 
Best advice I can give you right now for the rest of your life is simply do the next right thing. And then repeat that over and over and over for the rest of your life. And you're going to find yourself at the end of days, weeks, months, and years saying, how did I get here? Well, I simply did the, de- the next best right thing. And you can find yourself veering off course. How did you veer off course? How did you get out of shape? How did you get off course? How did you get lost? Well, I did a series of bad decisions, one after another, that were uncorrected. May the Lord give us wisdom. May the Lord bless us. Hey, read verse 13 with me. Actually, read verse 12. This is where we ended. It says, and the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And then he gathered to himself, that is Eglon, the people of Ammon and Amalek. And they went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. And so the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Othniel was the previous judge, and they were under oppression from that bad guy for eight years. And Othniel stood up, and he began to go out. And the Bible doesn't tell us how he led or what happened next, but it says simply the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he defeated these bad guys. Othniel. And the land had rest for 40 years. They were under oppression for eight. And we're going to see these numbers increase both of oppression and of freedom. But here we find ourselves now. Look at verse 12 again and laugh with me. It says, and the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. How many of you guys are frustrated at that verse? Like, man, these dum-dums, what are they doing? And yet when you look at your own life, you're like, I do that too. I find myself liberated from certain things and walking in just ecstasy with the Lord and connection and unity. And then again, I do something silly. Raise your hand if, again, you do something silly from time to time, okay? If you didn't raise your hand, you just lied in church, so raise your hand. You just (laughs) raise your hand. Man, and I'm studying these guys going, those idiots, what are they doing? Now they're under oppression from Eglon for all these years, And there's a couple lessons I really want to extract from today's teaching. This is one of the greatest stories in all of the Bible. It's one of my favorite. Hopefully, you're going to become familiar with it as well. The story of Eglon and the story of the judge Ehud. Eglon, he's a big man. As a matter of fact, it's going to be described in a few verses that Eglon was a very fat man. It's okay to laugh. The Bible doesn't describe people in their physical appearances very often. David was described as ruddy or ruddy, maybe red like the marble man kind of guy, you know. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And, you know, there's very, very small descriptions of the outward appearance of people in the Bible. And this is the only time in all the Bible that somebody is described as a very fat man. Eglon, you know what his name means? Cow-like. He's like a cow. Look it up. And I couldn't believe it. I checked it. I was like, that can't be true. But it is. And he's this big, heavy-duty oppressor, this big problem for the children of Israel. For 18 years, they're oppressed by this guy. There's not a lot of historical records. I heard one commentator say that his pant line, his waistline was 478 inches around. Okay? I couldn't verify that. I tried to buy some on Amazon. They don't make them anymore. There is actually very little historical evidence or data about Eglon. There is some artistic renditions. Do you have that artistic rendition, Dave? Of They found this recently. This is Eglon. We think this is him. <laughs> Just leave it there for a second. Just when you, leave it there. Mental picture. Okay, that's Eglon. He was a big dude. 
And he said, now let's just leave it there. And the reason this happened is because the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord raised up Eglon to discipline his kids. Why? Because his kids were committing sinful acts. And when you think of a sinful act, a rebellious act, something that we ought not to do, something we know better than doing, we're all tempted in some ways. Would you just get this picture back in your mind next time you're tempted to sin, next time you're tempted to go outside of the bounds of what God has provided for you? Because the devil wants to take you down. You can take that picture down, Dave, as well. And here's the moral, is that we all start out, hopefully even today, oh, Lord, communion, oh, worship, teaching, fellowship. Yes, Sunday, the Lord's Day. I want to be close to you. But the world is full of hooks and barbs and traps and distractions. And we're going to leave today. They're going to be all set up for you. What are you going to do? Well, we see in this study that the children of Israel would be tempted by the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Perizzites, all these bad guys that lived amongst them. And they would go from being in fellowship with the Lord to being distracted by the world to ultimately being enslaved by sin. Listen, step four, being broken by their sin. No, like Princess Leia shackled to Eglon. You guys know, oh, Luke has to come rescue and Star Wars. Anyways, it happened. And then finally in chapter, no, no, step five, we see this sin cycle we've been studying for the last five weeks. Finally, God comes and restores us and saves us. And he does this work through an Ehud. Ehud, you know what Ehud's name? Ehud is the judge. Eglon is the bad guy. Ehud, his name means I will praise. So cool. I will praise. In your darkest days, in your most difficult times, may we be men and women of praise. May we be men and women of faith. Even when we've messed up our situation or they've messed up our pathway, hey, let's praise the Lord. That's why we begin every service with praise. Gives us an opportunity, not because God has forgotten who he is and he like needs us to remind him how great he is. You need to be reminded of how great God is. You need an opportunity with the host of heaven and the host of uh, believers to chime in and say, our God is good all the time and all the time our God is good. But here's the deal. Let's just understand this. There's so many things out there we're struggling with and we learn from the children of Israel. Worldly things, things of compromise and rebellion and sin. Memorize this principle. Okay, sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. Let's all say it together. Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. Okay, let's all say it together. Sin isn't bad because it's... Sin is... Wait. Am I saying it right? Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. Am I saying forgiven or forbidden? Forbidden. Listen, sin is forbidden because it's bad. Sometimes we think it's bad because it's forbidden. Why can't I do this? Well, it's forbidden. Why is it bad? Because God said not to do it. That's the only reason. No, no. God said not to do things because when we do them, they're bad for us. They hurt us. In your rebellious nature, just like a little kid, we're all God's kids. God says, don't do this and be careful of that. We're like, it's not that bad. I know it's forbidden, but it's not forbidden because it's bad. It's bad because it's forbidden. Therefore, I'm going to go ahead and touch it. I'm going to go ahead and get involved in it. I'm just going to take a little bit of it. And God says, that's like rat poison. That's like something that's going to hurt you. It's going to take you down. Let me tell you this truth. Sin will take you further than you were intending to go, cost you more than you were ready to pay, and keep you longer than you were ready to stay. Every single 
every single time. Have you guys figured this out? How many of you guys are repeat students in this lesson? Raise up your hands. Me too. I preach this from the stage. Like I got this stuff memorized and I find myself saying, well, it can't be that bad. Just because it's forbidden, it's not that bad, you know? And I reckon and I reason with my sinful nature. So I look at verse 12 and it says, and the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. I'm like, what a bunch of dummies. The Lord says, you do the same thing, Luke. You do the same thing. And here's the deal. God loves us too much. He loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. Let's just do something, church, okay? As the days get darker and weirder, again, the three comparisons we don't want to do is, well, at least I'm not as bad as I used to be. At least I'm not as bad as they are. At least I'm not as bad as I could be. Eh, wrong comparison. Especially when you live in Sodom and Gomorrah and Egypt, like America is pretty bad. I mean, how many of you guys are doing better than the person sitting next to you? Raise your hand, you know? It's not that hard to compare yourself to people. Here's the deal, though. I want to commit to saying, Lord, Lord, would you raise up in my life, Lord, whatever you need, Lord, to get my attention whenever you need? I don't want to drift. I don't want to rebel. I don't want to get away with anything. I don't want it. In my flesh, I do, but in my flesh, I know that that's going to cause pain. Let me just read to you what Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 13, right around verse 11. Paul writing to the church at Rome. He says, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, and the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness, not in lust, not in strife, not in envy. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Amen? Wake up, call. Wake up. Wake up. What in the world are you doing? It's been 18 years for these guys. That sounds like a long time or a little time. That's a long time. 18 years they were under this heavy oppression of Eglon until finally they said, man, what's going on? Why is our country in such a mess? Why is our community suffering? Why is our family in this duress? And we're going to see the rest of the story. They finally cried out to the Lord in the true, humble, sober brokenness. And the Lord raised up Ehud. I will praise. But I just want us to... Take the time as we study through portions like this to remind ourselves that it is indeed rebellion and sin that caused them to get into this predicament. Sometimes I look at my own life or I counsel with other people and their lives are falling apart. Like, I don't know what happened. I don't know how it got this way. And I don't know where, what's wrong. And I'm like looking around going, it's pretty obvious to me. Is that what happened? Are you kidding me, you know? Then there's other men and women. I've been to jail before and I've visited people behind bars or at least behind the glass. And some people with the phone say, man, I need help. I need prayer. I need forgiveness. I know why I'm here. Other people I visit from time to time will say, oh, I don't belong here. You know, I'm innocent. I'm like, I don't know if that's true. You know, <laughs> pretty sure you had something to do with it. And here's the deal. God raises up Eglons. Look at verse 12. Let's just read it. Make sure we're not missing anything. Said the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon. I've got that circled because that's a mystery to me. He strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against the children of Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, and they went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palm. So much is going on here. This is so crazy. But did you notice God strengthened Eglon? 
And Eglon then grabbed the Amalekites. He's from the king of Moab, and he grabs also his friends, his brothers, his cousins, the king of the Moabites. You Bible students, pay attention, lean in. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Amalekites all come from the children of Israel previously. Moab and Ammon are brothers. Did you know who Moab and Ammon's grandpa was? Moab and Ammon's grandpa was Lot, Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't want to tell the story because it's so gross, but I'm going to tell the story just briefly. Moab and Ammon had moms that were Lot's daughters. And yet they were also fathered by Lot, their dad. Okay? You can talk about it at lunch, great Mother's Day topic. Lot's daughters got him drunk, their own dad. They, they thought that they weren't going to have a future and there were no more men in the world. And so they did a dastardly deed. And Moab and Ammon were born incestuously, just grossly. And they were enemies of children of Israel forever. And then you've got the Amalekites who are Esau's great, great, great descendants as well. I say that to say this. You got Eglon. You got the Moabites. You got the Amalekites. You got the Ammonites. They're all bad guys, all stemming from acts of sin and rebellion previously. Man, would you just sober up a little bit and know that your sinful deeds produce children? They do. We tend to think that no one's going to know. It's not going to go any further. The Bible says that when you sow to the Spirit, You of the spirit reap life, everlasting life. Good things happen when you do good things. But the Bible says, hey, there's an equal principle. When you sow to the flesh, there's going to be of the flesh corruption, a whirlwind of hell and chaos. And so often we get deceived and think, well, I'm just going to, no one knows. No one's going to see. I'm going to rationalize this because I got to preserve my own thing that I got to preserve. And the Lord says, don't do it. Don't do it. Not just because it's forbidden, but because it's bad. And I would just tell you, if you've got something you're struggling with here today, we all do. Maybe it's gossip, maybe it's anger, maybe it's fear, maybe it's lust, maybe it's drug abuse or alcohol abuse, maybe it's something where the Holy Spirit's telling you, let's not do that anymore. Let's set that down. Wouldn't that be awesome if today was the day? Mother's Day 2023. Wouldn't that be awesome? How are you going to do that? Maybe you're like me. Maybe there's areas in your life where you've been wrestling with and struggling with and trying to find victory over since you've been a young person. And even to this day, like, how am I going to find total victory every single day for the rest of my life? Well, let's go ahead and keep reading and find out exactly what the Lord would prescribe for this group because it's the same for us. Notice it says in verse 13 that they took over the city of Palms. I need to point this out because it's so evil. The city of Palms is Jericho. Jericho is the first city that Joshua took over in the promised land. It was actually the city that when they took it over, God said, all the spoils, all the fruit, that's mine. This is my city. And notice where the first attack from Eglon came on what God had redeemed, what God had created. It's a big deal. Sin and rebellion and the evil forces of hell. They're after God's heart. They're after what God has purchased. They're after what is rightfully God's. Look at verse 14. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. God forbid the same story be true of us in our issues. But verse 15, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. And by him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Stop right there, eyes up here. Ehud shows up on the scene, and he's a Benjamite. Anybody know what Benjamin means? 
I'll tell you, son of my right hand. It means son of my right hand, except Ehud is described as a southpaw. He's a left-hander in a right-handed tribe. Does it say that? Did I get to, did I get to the point? Does it say he's left-handed? It did say that? Then, yeah, he's a left-hander. Now, I say that to say this. How many of you guys are left-handed? Raise your hands. Okay, moment of silence. I mean, isn't that weird? Just like left hand, 10% of the world's population is left-handed and 90% are right-handed. You, you deduce your own, you know, <laughs> you can come to your own conclusions. Here's the deal though. Historically, you can look this up on Wikipedia. Historically, in Latin, the word right means dexterity. It means ability. It means, it means diversity. It means strength. Right does. And if you look up the word left in Latin, it means sinister or evil or perverse. Sorry, I don't know what's going on here. I said in the Old Testament and in the olden days, if you were left-handed, it was actually considered a handicap. It was something you would look down upon and say, oh, you're left-handed? Dang, man, why'd you do that? What happened to you? Where, what's wrong with you? Sometimes I'll see people signing checks with their left hand or doing things. I'm like, it's a lot easier if you use your right hand. You know, Just get with the program. Again, we see here Ehud is described in his physical form. Just like Eglon is described in his physical form. Interesting. Eglon's a fat man. We'll see that in just a minute. Ehud's a lefty. He's a southpaw. And he's from the tribe of Benjamin that's noted as the son of my right hand. I say that because I guarantee you that Eglon was Ehud was bummed at his life, was bummed at the lot that was dealt to him. He didn't like who he was when he saw himself in the mirror, when he was raised at the playground. Everything he went through in life was difficult up until this time. And I'll go so far as to say all of us feel that from time to time. Every one of us look at our lives and the families we were raised in and the places we were born and the things that God's given to us. We're like, man, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I was, you know, all these things. I wish... And yet, if you're like me, you've come to the conclusion you really can't change who you are. In our culture, though, they're saying you can. You can change it. I believe it's evil. It's satanic. It's ungodly. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knit you together in your mama's womb. And while you were being knit together, he was there with you. There's no place you can hide from his presence so excited about you is the Lord, exactly as you are. All the things that God's given to you, your height or lack thereof, your beautiful hair or lack thereof, all the things that God's given to you, your gender, your ethnicity, the color of your skin. God says, I made you exactly that way. And here we have this story where Ehud, his name means I will praise. What a testimony for you and I who maybe are dissatisfied with certain things in our life. Do you praise through it? Uh, I don't always. I want to. Ehud, son of Gera. Gera means grain, like a grain of faith, a very small person in nature. And these two characters are put to the scene, and they come to the surface in the story at this time for such a time as this. Guys, look at verse 15. Again, it says, but when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. How serious do we take prayer? Today we prayed for our 8.30 service, or we prayed at 8.30 for our services. We got some visitors here from Washington, and these two brothers over here were praying great blessings on our church, great blessings on our community, serious prayers. Let's take the whole town. Let's take the whole community. Let's just take over. 
serious prayers. And sometimes we just say these little, you know, re- re- rehearsed and memorized prayers. You know, we go to pray for our dinner. Lord, thank you so much for all you've done. And, and thank you for all you're doing. And just rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Amen. And we just go to eat. And these, these things that we do. And I just wonder, would the Lord say, no, pray. Are you oppressed? Are you depressed? Are you not impressed? What's going on in your life? Go to the Lord in prayer. The Bible says in the book of James that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I'm going to ask that again, so go ahead and help me out there. The Bible says in the book of James that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer. We could pull the audience right now and say, and I could ask each and every one of you, what 18-year issue are you dealing with? What depression? What oppression? What lack of impression? What's going on in your life? It's just so heavy in your life right now, and you would be able to fill in the blanks and say, oh yeah, for sure this. And I would challenge you, is there a crying out? Is there a battling? And for those of you who have been in your prayer closets and going to war with the enemy, okay, be encouraged. Keep praying. God hears and has heard all of your prayers. And when you least expect it for his glory and for others' good, God will do what only God can do. I believe this is incredible. God chooses to raise up Ehud, a left-hander, a small guy. Maybe it was even to send him in the presence of Jabba the Hutt, I mean Eglon. Maybe it was even that this guy was such a puny little person that he wouldn't be suspected, or maybe they were just kind of messing with him in this way. I don't know, but God began to raise up a plan in Ehud's life. As a matter of fact, look at verse 16. It says, now Ehud, this I will praise left-hander guy, made himself a dagger. It was a double-edged in cubit, in a cubit in length, and he fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. Lots of details given here. He takes this 18-inch, a cubit is about 18 inches, and he fastens this double-edged sword, and he puts it inside of his robe on his right thigh because a left-hander is going to reach across the body on his left thigh and pull that dagger out if he needs one. Now, when you hear that word double-edged sword, how many Bible students, your mind goes to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12? Do you have Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, Dave? Can you put that on the screen for us if you have it? It says this about God's word in Hebrews. I've got it here if we don't get it. There it is. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Just leave that up there, man. So powerful. God's word, and when God's word is fashioned, and when God's word is sharpened, and when God's word is hidden in our hearts and near and dear to us, you want to know what happens? Things happen. Life happens. Liberty happens. Freedom happens. Newness happens. And Ehud, would you just leave that verse up there and look at verse 16 again. My Bible, New King James Version, says, now Ehud made himself a dagger. In the King James Version, it says, but... Ehud made himself an 18-inch double-edged sword. Now and but. I just put the context there. When is now and when was but? I'll answer for you. The now and the but of the story is in the middle of the darkest of their days. Listen, it's in the middle of their biggest oppression. When everyone else was about to blow it. Did you know that in the rest of the story, I want to fill you in, they're actually going to send a tribute, a bribe, a gift basket to Eglon to appease him and make him happy. Everybody else in Israel at that time is still just feeding the problem, this big oppressive situation. And Ehud stands back and he says, not me. 
I know I'm just a left-hander. I know I'm just a Benjamite. I know my dad's just a grain. I know I'm nobody. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to liberate us. And he fashions a sword in secret, hides it upon himself. And God is going to use this man. Nobody else is willing to go with this guy. He's going solo. Now, it was interesting. I had a birthday yesterday. Yesterday was my birthday. You don't have to clap. <laughs> and so on Friday, we had a little party, and somebody gave me this gift. And I kid you not, I opened this gift, and I pulled it out, and I opened this gift up, and I saw it, and I thought to myself, are you serious? And this gift, I was like, do you know what this is? And he's like, uh, kinda. I said, this is exactly what I'm preaching on this Sunday. This is an 18-inch blade. It's not double-edged, but nonetheless, this is the same size blade that Ehud would have put on his right thigh in order to go in and then to give it as a present to Eglon. And it was so cool. A pastor, I don't want to embarrass him, so I won't tell you his name. I'll just tell you his initials. Pastor Rory Van Wyke gave this to me. And I pulled this out of my bag, and also in the bag was a lantern with batteries. And I said, I said, do you understand the prophetical nature of your gifting? He's like, no. I said, the light of the world and the sword of the spirit. And it was pretty cool because he hadn't thought it through that way. But the Lord had. Some of you are wondering how old I turned. 30, if you're curious. 30, 30. Ehud. When, when does he do this? In the darkest of days. Listen, the darkness was not due to his sin. It was the sins of his people around him. But can I encourage you, whether it's the sins of our nation or the sins of our community or our leaders, okay, what's going on in your own life? What darkness, what oppression is weighing you down? How are you being distracted from the things that God wants to do in your life? What are you going to do? The Bible has given its own prescription, and the prescription the Bible has given is the Bible itself. Did you know that the longest chapter in all of the entire Bible, Psalm 119, 176 verses, all the verses are about the Bible. The longest chapter in the Bible is all about the Bible. When Jesus was being tempted and when he was being tortured in Matthew chapter 4, he quoted scripture the entire time. He was fasting and praying and the devil was trying to take him out. It was the word of God that he had hid in his heart, just like we see Ehud here. I just want to encourage you. What do we do in our world? What do we do? You know what we need more of? We need more of the word of God. Because when the word goes in, the stuff comes out. When the word goes in, the stuff comes out. What's going on in your life? What's going on in our world's life? Why are we so messed up? I believe it's because we have abstained from reading God's word collectively. That's not necessarily your problem or my problem. My problem is what I'm doing with my own life. Specifically, let's read the story again. Look at verse 16. Now Ehud made himself a dagger, a double-edged dagger and a cubit in length, and he fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. And so he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, now, Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. Stop right there. Eyes up here. I want you guys to see the scene. These guys now go into Jabba the Eglon's hut, and they walk in with this tribute, and it's Ehud, this left-hander. His right hand, based on the text, the Hebrew text, may have actually been withered or handicapped in some way. It wasn't that he was just left-handed. He maybe actually had some deformities. We don't know for certain. And so he walks in with this other group of people with a tribute that they're giving to Eglon. You know what the tribute was? 
It was five guys. It was five guys, in and out burgers. Man, it was all kinds of good stuff because they wanted to fatten this guy up and help him out and win his favor one more time. Which, by the way, do you know why he took the city of Palms? I mentioned that kind of illustration where this was God's heart and this was the first area that God had redeemed and that's the first area that Satan's going to attack for you. But I believe it's also because of the richness of the city of Palms. They would have all kinds of produce and five guys all up and down the I-5 corridor and Chick-fil-A. And they would have all these things in order that he would continue to appease himself. Here's the point. Eglon is being appeased by the children of Israel. He's being fed. He's being fattened. He's being served. Ehud's there and Ehud's with them. And he's like, I'm just here on a reconnaissance mission. He's not really participating in this. But here's the problem. There is a tendency in our lives to appease the oppression, to feed the problem, to just give it a little more attention, maybe a little more look, a little more toke, a little more touch, a little more taste, just a little bit. Don't raise your hands, but have you ever done this before where you're fighting the oppression in your life? Like, I'm just going to do it a little bit more because it feels good, like scratching an itch, and man, it just feels so good in that moment, and then all of a sudden you look down and your arm's bleeding. This is the case. Let me tell you what, sin does not ever get appeased. Your sin will never be appeased. Your sin will never satisfy you. Your sin will never give you what you truly desire and want, ever. Lots of struggles in our world. I could pinpoint a couple and maybe hit yours and we could cry together. I could pinpoint a bunch of different sins and I would miss yours and you would leave here today saying, yeah, he didn't talk about my sin. Woohoo! But the Holy Spirit will. In those areas in your life and in my life where we find ourselves oppressed, we're like, let's just, let's just get a gift basket together. Let's go, let's go feed it one more time. Or, or, or we can be like Ehud. Say, I'm gonna trust the Lord. I'm gonna praise him with my life. Yeah, I feel like I got the short end of the stick, but hey, maybe that's exactly why God made me this way. Maybe it's because of my deformity. Maybe it's because of my left-handedness. Maybe it's because someone overlooked me that God prepared me for such a time as this. Just like Queen Esther, who was snuck into the kingdom, married to Ahasuerus, saving the Jews and the entire planet. Maybe it's because God made you the way you are that he has a plan for you to use you exactly for such a time as this. How are you going to be ready to be used? By hiding his word in your heart. By being a man or a woman of God's word. Study to show thyself approved, a workman, rightly dividing the word of truth, needing not be ashamed, 2 Timothy 2.15. For God has given his word to us, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for correction, for reproof, for instruction, for doctrine, that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is why we encourage you guys to read your Bibles. How many of you guys, don't raise your hand, have started the five by five reading program in January? Like, I'm gonna read the Bible. Did you know it's only May right now? And so many people are like, I, are we still doing that? We, you know, are we still doing that? People are still reading the Bible, but if you've fallen off the wagon, grab one of these cards. Read the Old Testament, read the New Testament. You need to feed your spirit inside and starve the sin outside. Your sin will never be appeased. It will never be satisfied. It will never give you what you really need. And so Ehud here models this for us. It says though, look at verse 18, and when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. I make a distinction between Ehud and these other guys who were carrying the tribute. Notice it says he sends them away. Sobering thought. 
when you, when I, when we choose to appease our sin, appease our oppression, I promise you eventually, and in some subtle ways, you too will be sent away. There'll be issues in your life where you're not prepared for, you're not included in the things of God because of the sin that remains within. And God says, hey, don't do that. I want to use you. And I found myself ill-prepared or not ready in situations because I've chose to appease my sin instead of hiding the word within. Look at verse 19. But he himself, Ehud, turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king, he said. Keep silence, said Eglon. And all who attended him went out from him. Stop right there. Eyes up here. I see this as well. For you Bible students, it says that he went outside to the place of Gilgal. You guys remember where Gilgal is? Gilgal is where they set up camp. They're in the promised land, first and foremost, where the presence of God met. And it's right here where Ehud's going after they've given the tribute to Eglon. He's eating his five guys. Rah, 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 rah. And Eglon is eating and Ehud's walking and Ehud stops at Gilgal. And I wonder if he remembers the stories of God's presence in this area. I wonder if he was encouraged at what God had done previously. The stone images are erected there. The godlessness of the nation of Israel now. And Ehud finds himself strength and he says, guys, you go home. I've got something to do. And Ehud, maybe he was small, left-handed, a Benjamite, deformed. We don't know. Ehud says, I'm going back in. I'll catch up with you guys. And Ehud strengthens himself in the Lord goes back, tells Eglon, I've got a secret message for you. Eglon sends his guys out. Look at verse 20. It says, so Ehud came up to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in the cool private chamber. And then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Can you imagine the scene? I read that over and over and over again. Eglon is about to get a message from God. What is the message? It's an 18-inch dagger into his gut. Can you imagine if you knew that your Ehud, like, hey, I have a message from God for you. Like, what is it? Well, it might hurt a little. This might sting. This might be the truth that you're wrestling against. And God's word is nothing but true. And nothing but exactly what you and I need. And I pray you've discovered this. I pray you know this. And Ehud, looking at Eglon, says, I've got a message from God. This heavy-duty oppression, oppression, this heavy-duty problem, this big trouble that Israel was under for 18 years. And then in verse 21, Ehud reached his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, that is the handle, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw out the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. What in the world? How come nobody's redone this movie in Hollywood yet? Can you imagine? Ehud gets close to him. He's like, I got a message from you from God. Eglon says, oh, get out of here. Kicks all his guys out. It's just the two of them, this little Ehud. And Ehud reaches in, grabs out the sword. Eglon's eyes must have gotten its biggest saucers at this point. And Ehud marches right up to him and stabs him right in the belly. And the knife goes in and in and in. And in until the handle went in, and his hand went in too. And Ehud was like, ah! you know, he finally lets go, and it just takes off in. And he steps back, and his entrails come out. How many of you guys have a King James Version Bible on your lap right now? Anybody have one? What does it say came out, Bonnie? Dirt. The sword went in, and the dirt came out. My Bible says entrails. The dirt came out. Now, evidently, he was a dirty guy or something like that. 
Evidently, he was eating dirt clods, or evidently something was going on. But in the actual Hebrew, the word is not entrails or dirt. I can't even say the word. It's the only time mentioned in the entire New Testament that the sword goes in and the stuff comes out. Okay, it's not dirt, not entrails, it's stuff. Do I need to fill in the blanks anymore? It's stuff. This, you guys get it? The stuff comes out. It's one time used in the scriptures. Can you imagine Ehud stabs them and this stuff comes out? This filth, this gross stuff, this waste comes out of this guy. And all of this happened as a picture. It's a real story, historical accuracy, but it's for you and I that we might find ourselves, man, the things in our life, the stuff in our life that's plaguing us, stinking up our walk, messing with our effectivity, stopping us from being the fragrance of Christ, but instead we're other things. And how does the stuff come out? The sword goes in. It's so simple. Sometimes I overcomplicate things. Do you guys do that too? Man, I just overcomplicate things. I get weird. Sundays are so stressful for me at times. I'm like, oh my gosh, we got this, we got this, we got this, we got this. And then if I just talk faster, we can get it all done. Have you ever seen me do that before? I do it all the time. I'm probably doing it right now. And yet the Lord comforts me. He says, Luke, the cool thing about South Beach Church is that South Beach Church is a church of the word of God. They truly are. They're sheep and they love his word and they're feeding on his word. And Luke, I've asked you to feed the sheep. It's really simple. I've asked you, Luke, to, to teach the word simply and to simply teach the word. And I've asked you, Luke, to be a man of God's word and a lover of God's word and a student of God's word. It's not that complicated. It's really magical. It's really miraculous. It's really powerful. Because when the word goes in, the stuff comes out. When the word goes in, the things that are plaguing you, the oppression, the difficulty, the blindness, the problems, it comes out. It is dealt with. A double-edged sword. The Bible says of itself that God has elevated his word even above his own name. That God's word won't return void. Isaiah 55 says that like the sun or the snow that falls and the rain that falls and doesn't return void, so too my word does not return void. But I will accomplish that which I set it out to do. The word of God brings life, liberty, fruit, power, purpose. Now let me just challenge you right now. I believe all these things. Do you believe, believe all these things with me? Amen. You guys believe these things? You believe these things? Say, say it like you believe it. Amen. Amen. You believe it. Okay. Here's the challenge though. Are you doing it? Are you doing it? Don't raise your hands, but how many of you guys have been a member of a gym before, but you never go? Like you're a proud supporter of the YMCA, you know what I mean? Like, man, you know, uh, just because you're a member and believe it doesn't mean that you're yoked and stacked and fit. You got to put some work in. So too, I believe everything I've said in this entire message. And yet the Lord looks at Luke's heart. He says, hey, Luke, are you oppressed by anything? Are you depressed? Luke, is there anything in your life that's beautiful and great and awesome, but you're under-impressed Look, is there anything going on in your life right now that's out of order? And the answer to all those questions is, yes, Lord. What do I do? Where do I go? Do I need to go to a conference? Do I need to read the next book? Do I need to go on a mountaintop? And the Lord says, get in the word and get the word in you. Because when the word goes in, the stuff comes out. When the sword goes in, the stuff comes out. The sword of the spirit, it won't return void. How shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed to the word of God. Psalm 119, 09. I have hidden thy word in my heart that I might not what against you? Sin. Do you need a clean heart? Do you need to be free from sin? Guys, let's just read a few more verses here. I want you to see this if we can get the context. 
it says that the entrails came out, the stuff comes out. Then Ehud went out through the porch, shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. Ehud bounces out, Eglon is dead. And when he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he's probably attending to his needs in the cool of his chamber. <laughs> Literally, he's probably going to the bathroom. Uh, he had already gone to the bathroom a little differently this time. You ever been locked in the bathroom before? One time we took a trip to North Dakota on the Greyhound, and I was like five years old, and I locked myself in the bathroom for like four hours. It was horrible. Man, it's a whole story there. I'm not going to go into it. But anyways, Eglon is locked in the bathroom in the upper chambers of his palace. Verse 25, so they waited until they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key and opened them, and there they found their master, fallen, dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images, and he escaped to Sierra. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet. And the mountains of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains. Listen. And he led them. And then he said to them, follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him, seized the fords and the Chevys, I imagine, of the Jordan leading to Moab, and they did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time, they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued and under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. Stop right there, eyes up here. Final thoughts. I'm going to have Bryce come up and lead us in a song as we close as well. Ehud does what only Ehud could do. He was gifted in this way. Some commentators and historians believe that maybe he was able to sneak this dagger in because he was left-handed. Maybe he was able to sneak this dagger in because he was handicapped and the guards were like, this guy's not a threat. This guy doesn't have anything to worry about. And it was in this moment that Ehud must have thought, that's why God made me this way. God did this on purpose. What personality traits has God given you? Did you know that he gave them to you on purpose? There's all kinds of personality tests out there. You can find out what kind of things you are, numbers and animal types and blah, blah, blah. There's all kinds of things. They're kind of fun to study that out. It doesn't really change anything. It just identifies who God made you to be. And when Ehud finally said, maybe that's why God did this, so I could sneak in and be used in this way. And he brought the sword that he had fashioned in the darkest of times. Listen. And when he finally did all of this, Ehud went back and he took the fords, which means the pathway that leads from Jordan all the way to Jericho. And he blew the trumpet. He said, guys, follow me. How many of you guys want to live a life that's worth following? I hope it's all of you. How many of you have come to a point in your life though where you're like, I'm not worth anything. I'm not worth following. I'm not influential. I don't have anything to offer. I'm just a left-handed person or I'm deformed in this way or I'm overlooked by so many things. Can I encourage you? God loves to use those who've been overlooked. He loves to use those who the world says, you're not special, you're nothing, you're gonna come up short. He loves to use men and women who the enemy says, you're no good for anything. And God says, oh, I can use you. I can use you in your story. But it's been 18 years of oppression. It's been 18 years of difficulty. It's been 18 years of sadness. Hey, get in the word. Sharpen the sword. Hide it in your heart. Prepare. Rise up. Go against the crowd. 
Put the negative people away. Let the Lord use you in new ways. Don't waste your life. The children of Israel had rest for 80 years after Ehud did what only Ehud could do. I'm going to ask you guys to stand up with me now. We're going to sing a song of praise. This is between you and the Lord. And I want you to commit to whatever degree the Spirit says to you today to give your life over to Him to be used in a new way, in a powerful way, in a purposeful way. Don't waste your life. Don't wait for another year, for two years, for 18 years, but instead say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? I'm oppressed. I'm underimpressed. I'm oppressed. All these things. So, Lord, set me free. As a matter of fact, I want to give you an opportunity wherever you're standing right now, if you sense the Spirit of the Lord calling you, say, hey, you can be like Ehud. Yeah, it's all messed up right now. You're battling a battle right now. And I brought you here for such a time as this, and I want to set you free. And I've already given you the tools. So often we wait for tools and we pray prayers. Right? Lord, I don't know what to do next. He's like, I've already given you the powerful Word of God. Become a man of God. Become a woman of God. But I want you to have an opportunity right now to surrender to Him. If you would like the Lord to help you, to take you right where you're at, to equip you and to use you, to make you a woman of God or a man of God, and you know there's a battle raging right now, and you want to volunteer and give your life over to Him in that way, and you don't want to just take this lightly. You don't want to be casual in your Christianity anymore. You want to be used by God in powerful ways. Would you right now, by way of surrender, raise up both of your hands? You can do one. If you only have one, that's okay, but raise up both of your hands and say, yes, Lord, I surrender to you. Use me for your glory. Make me a man of God. Make me a woman of God. Make me one who knows your word, who hides your word, who loves your word, who studies your word, who believes your word. Raise up your hands. Humble yourself in this way. The Bible says God resists the prideful. I don't want to be resisted. Lord, I just, I humble myself. Lord, I apologize. I just bow before you. As a matter of fact, right now, if you feel compelled to come to the altar right now, would you just make your way up to the front of the stage right now? If you need to humble yourself, it takes humility. Can't do it with pride. If you want to humble yourself right now in that way, if that brings that you closer to the Lord in that way, do you just want to cry out to the Lord for deliverance in your own life? Make your way to the front of the stage right now. Don't miss out on this opportunity for the Lord to fight your battles, to fight for you, to set you free. Lord, I ask for anointing and blessing upon our church. Set us free, Lord. Set us free and anoint us. The, the table will be open up front here, the altar, if you need prayer during this time. We're going to sing a song of repentance, a song of praise, a song of crying out to the Lord. Let's sing together and let the Lord minister to our hearts. The front of the stage is open if you need prayer. Come forward right now.